Father, may your name be recognized as holy in this place this morning. And I thank you that you are here, and we just invite you to fill us and to lead us. I ask you to speak through me, and that you would create in us just a, a longing for you this morning. And, uh, and thank you so much for today that we can gather together. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Uh, so this morning um, will be uh, an Advent-focused message. Did anybody, uh, does anyone tune into the YouTube channel or live stream like during the week at all? Like, and kind of hear, like maybe you see a, a message title for this, this coming Sunday. Does anyone do that? Anyone check that out? No? Chris does? Did you see this week's? Yeah. Well, so Pastor Josh made the YouTube thing this, this week, and he said, uh, the title was, Seriously, the Pastor Said What? So it was kind of a clickbait situation. So I changed it to this morning to call it Advent. So it was uh, <laughs> crazy. So but yeah, today will be an Advent-focused message. And, um, and so we're going we're gonna to jump into this Advent in the Latin and Greek can be translated as coming, as coming. And so in our, in our modern Western church, at least, Advent is a well-known season of preparation uh, lasting four weeks. Leading up to Christmas time, we light candles, we sing songs. Uh, well, we sing songs about the birth of Jesus, and, and this is primarily the focus of our Christmas season, right? Is, is Jesus coming um, and, and being born? And so uh, we don't have any biblical command telling us to celebrate Advent. Uh, there's no, like, make sure before December 25th, you got four weeks there. That's not in the Bible. Um, so this is a church tradition. This is something that the church, Advent has been something that's been around for a long time. Um, and I think, it's a good, I think it's a good and healthy thing to set aside different seasons in our lives um, to intentionally prepare or reflect on, on different things in our, in our life or in the life of the church or Jesus. I think it's healthy and good. Um, however, as I, as I reflect on my own life, maybe you can relate. The majority of my preparation for this season is getting the Christmas tree, buying gifts, thinking about what I should ask for for Christmas. Like, that is stressful to me. Because, um, you know, when your parents come asking, you got to like, man, this isn't what I'm going to ask is what I'm going to get, so i got to make the right decision here. So it's big. Um, or my preparation seems to be looking at our calendar and wondering how on earth are we going to do this month because it's so busy. You know, we had two gatherings yesterday. We went to one. We have another gathering today after the service. Uh, we have five total this Christmas. And so... Um, it's just part of it is just planning out our life as preparation for this season. Um, or it just happens the first Sunday of Advent is also the same weekend that Black Friday happens. So part of my preparation was we were online on Friday buying stuff on Black Friday this year. So that's part of my preparation for Christmas is Black Friday shopping. Um, now, 
shopping for deals on Black Friday. First of all, just show of hands, how many of you guys bought something during that weekend? Wow, okay, there's a lot of really spiritual people here, so that's really good. <laughs> I'm actually, can someone else actually preach this message today? So let's get... No, but shopping for deals on Black Friday, family gatherings, changing gifts, enjoying the lights and trees and all these things, like, these are good things. These aren't bad things. These aren't evil. Um, and the older I get, the more into Christmas I seem to be getting. We had Christmas music playing in our house, like, early November this year, and that was my doing. And uh, you can judge me if you want for that, but my brother-in-law is, like, Christmas Day or bust, pretty much, so... It's, uh, I, I love this season, and, um, but the, the thing is that there's a lot of things in this season that can distract us from the deep significance of this time, and I, I see that in my own life, that there's a, there's a battle happening for me to be focused on what's most important, and so um, I'm going to share a little bit of history of Advent and uh, kind of see how we got to where we are today. So, um, as I did some research, there didn't seem to be like a fixed time when the season of Advent like officially started. Like there's no like official date when it's okay, this Advent's starting now. But in 380 AD, at the Council of Sargossa, there were some heresies happening in that, in that time, and the church leaders urged daily church attendance between December 17th and December 29th. So that's not a typical Advent, but there was a bit of a double down, a bit of a on, on celebration of, of Jesus' first coming. Um, also, in, around that time, the 4th and 5th centuries, um, there was a time of Advent in preparation for new Christians to be baptized. And so in December and January, they would take if you're getting baptized, they would take, I think we should actually implement this next thing. They would take 40 days to fast and pray in preparation for baptism. So those of you getting baptized January 15th, come meet me after the service and we'll get you prepped for some fasting. Uh, eventually, uh, different things kind of came from that and this practice of, of fasting and prayer uh, got tied to Christmas and... And, um, and they started kind of weeks before Christmas would, would engage in fasting and prayer as part of their Advent. Um, but the thing is, is that it wasn't when they, were, when they were taking time to prepare and reflect, the majority of what they were reflecting on was the coming of Jesus, but it was the second coming of Jesus. It wasn't the first coming of Jesus. And so... Um, but that continued to change, and eventually Advent became a four-week period where the first two weeks was focused on the second coming, and the last two weeks were focused on the first coming. And like I said, it was like fasting and prayer, and it was 40 days, that's how they prepped for it. And nowadays, it, I would say it's pretty much four weeks of thinking about the first coming of Jesus, right? That's kind of what... We do in our, in our context. And, um, and so it's, it's interesting to me because how we do Advent, and we didn't put a huge focus on Advent this year, but we lit candles, but it was mostly just kind of lighting candles as we started the service. Um, 
seems to be very different than actually what originally was happening with the early church and throughout history. And I think, I think when we do that, when we just focus on, and I'm like, I'm just going to, like, I love Christmas time, and I love celebrating the birth of Jesus. But I think when we, when we just focus on that, we actually miss out on a really important reality for us. See, the Old Testament, when the Jews were in exile, um, they were in a season of waiting and longing, and which is, like, that is at the heart of Advent, waiting and longing for the coming of Jesus. And so the, G- the Jewish people were waiting for the Messiah to come, and then Jesus came. The Christ, the anointed one, he came. And, uh, and so they were, in this, but they were in this season of waiting and, and Advent. And, and at Christmas, we celebrate this, right? We celebrate, this is important. We, shouldn't ce- we should celebrate this. Like, this is like the two greatest acts of humility that's in the history of the world was God becoming a baby and then also God coming to die. But those are the two greatest acts. Like God, like I just was reflecting on that this last couple of weeks. Like we have we have a, a an eight month old, and like to imagine that Jesus actually was a baby, and like it wasn't like there's you know in the one song like uh, no crying he makes like that's hogwash. Like Jesus cried as a baby because he was a baby, right? And like you know, and he probably spit up, and he probably like the humility of Jesus to come as a baby. Is crazy to me. And then he also came to die, to give up his life. Two greatest acts of humility this world has ever seen. And so we should celebrate Jesus doing this. We should celebrate the incarnation. We should celebrate his first coming, what that all means for us and our redemption and, and all that. It's, it's amazing. However, we're, we are actually in a different reality now. We don't live in the pre-incarnation. We live in the post-incarnation era. The Messiah has come. Jesus did come. And he has made a way of salvation and redemption. And so we live in this different tension now as the church. We have, we have a different waiting that's happening. There's a different waiting right now in our, in, in our, in our era Yes, we celebrate the first coming, but at the same time, there's a second coming of Jesus. And we, there's, there's a longing and, a, and a, a wanting for his return that I think, actually with the early church, that's what, that's what marked their season before Christmas, was think, okay, now, like, okay, we're going to celebrate Christmas, but we're going to reflect on the fact that he's coming again. He's coming again. And we're waiting for that. We're, we're longing for that. And Paul groaned and longed for this. If you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to Romans 8. Romans chapter 8. Verse 18 to 23. I'll read a little bit here. Romans 8, 18 to 23 says this. This is Paul. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory of that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, 
in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. I'll read that again, verse 23. And now, not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Like Paul, he, there was a, long, a deep longing and groaning that he had for the return of Jesus and the resurrection of his, of his own body. And I, I find it interesting that in, in Matthew 24, which is the, one of the chapters where Jesus describes how the, the times before he returns, and he compares it to the pains of, of, of the birth pains. And here we have Paul comparing this groaning this, this, to the pain of childbirth. And so that's like, that is an intense, that's an intense groaning and longing that Paul had. And he said that the creation has. So there, there's, this, there's this deep longing for the return of Jesus that we see in this. And in Philippians chapter 3, Turn there if you want. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. This is Paul again. He says this. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So we just see that there's this, there's this waiting. There's this waiting for the return of Jesus that we see in Paul's writing. And that we see the early church, as they approached Christmas, that they actually practiced this waiting and groaning, and they intentionally set aside time to prepare and, and, and call Jesus to come back. And so my hope today is like the Jews before the birth of Jesus, how they longed and waited and groaned for his coming, that we as a church would long and groan for the Messiah's return, for Jesus' return, for him to give us new bodies, for him to deal with evil, death, and sickness, and mourning, and pain once and for all, and for us to be with him forever, that there be this longing and groaning of his coming, but it's of his second coming. And this is, this is really the, the heart that we as believers, I believe, are supposed to have throughout our lives, not just before Christmas, but actually it's supposed to, I think, permeate our life where we just have this longing throughout our days, week after week. You know, if you get a diagnosis and there's this longing of like, oh, I just want Jesus to come back to make things right again. Maybe there's an injustice in your family or at work and there's this longing and this groaning, I just want Jesus back to make things right Maybe there's, there's things that you wrestle with, and you're just, I'm just so done with the wrestling. I just want Jesus to come back. And I think there's, there's this meant to be this groaning, or even maybe you're in, in having a time where you're just in fellowship with Jesus, and you just want this, I just want more, I just want the fullness. I just want, I want your actual presence. I want you here with me. And I think that, 
to really cultivate that in our lives, it actually is really helpful to set aside intentional seasons where we really double down on that and really focus on that. I think it's really important. And so I think that's why Advent, I'm, I'm betting that the early church, because they set aside those 40 days to pray and fast and really prepare, that as, throughout the rest of their, their year, they, that was more of a, just a constant thinking in their heads and their hearts and this desire for the return of Jesus. And so how, very simply, what are some ways that we can prepare our hearts? What are some ways we can prepare? Um, there's, there's lots, but just a couple ways here this morning um, to really prepare our hearts to long. Because maybe, maybe, maybe you're here today and you don't feel that. Maybe you don't feel this longing for the return of Jesus. I think actually for many, in the, many Christians, I think in the, in the West, I think it's hard because we have so much. And life is, is often good. And I think it can be hard to groan for something more when you kind of you have everything you need. Um, I, I've experienced that in my life. So how do we, in our context really long and groan for the return of Jesus. I think one way is, is actually very simple and not easy, but simple and something that's been practiced throughout church history is to pray and fast. That's been something that's been done, um, well, since the beginning of, like, Old Testament. People were, were praying and, and fasting. And, and so I think that's a way that we can... We can when we fast, we're saying, I, I actually need you, Jesus. I long for you more than food. And so I just encourage you um, this week, maybe take one meal. This is an encouragement. You don't have to do this. Take one meal this week or take a day this week to fast from food in order to really ask, like, ask the Lord to put this longing in your heart for his return or just take time to just maybe you... you just take time to be with him and, and, and just pray for him to come back and ask for him to come back. And I just encourage you, take, take a meal this week, take, take a day this week, just to fast and pray, like the church has done throughout its history. I encourage you to do that. And fasting isn't a, a, like a formula, like, okay, we like, type it in, okay, we fasted today, everything's going to change my heart. But there's something about fasting where we, it's a long, it's, we're, we're basically saying, I, I need you, I long for you. We can long for his return. Um, another way, I think, uh, very simply, is just to fill our minds with the second coming of Jesus. Um, there are at least 150 chapters in the Bible where the focus is his return. There's more about his return than his first coming in the Bible, which I think is kind of crazy that we don't really talk about his return very often. But the Bible talks about more than it does his first coming. And so... Something you can do to prepare is take a couple of those chapters. You can even just type in like 150 chapters of the return of Jesus, and they'll get, you can, like in Google, and you can you get a list of them. Or you can ask me, and I can direct you to, to, a, to a list. But take a couple of those chapters this week. We've got a week before Christmas. Take a couple of those chapters this week and, and reflect and read about the return of Jesus. I think that's a way we can prepare our hearts for that. So... This morning, what we're going to do 
is I'm going to give us all an opportunity to prepare for the t- return of Jesus um, this Christmas season as we reflect on his second coming. So I'm going to read the, uh, I'm going to read the final two chapters of the Bible this morning. And I just invite you, as we do this, close your eyes and just, you can ask the Lord to speak to you during this time or just invite, invite him to put this longing in your heart to, to see this happen that we're going to read. And, um, and so we're going to jump into Revelation chapter 20 and 21. Oh, just kidding, 21 and 22. We're just going to leave just the ending out. Just, oh, what happens? Revelation 21 and 22. I'm going to read it for us. Let me just pray before we do this. And then um, I'll do this. So, Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would Right now, you'd come and interrupt this moment, and that you'd well up in us this a longing for your return as we read about it, whether this word would come alive to us. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bulls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates, And at the gates, twelve angels, and on the gates, the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east, three gates, on the north, three gates, on the south, three gates, and on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. 
And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width, and he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia, which is 1,380 miles. So that's a pretty big city. Its, its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third a gate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a, made of a single pearl. And the streets of the city were, was pure gold, like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations." But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no, they will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true, and the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me, to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters 
and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Amen. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. Yeah. I don't know where everybody's at this morning. And we all have different things that we're working through and, and wrestling through, and, and there's different situations going on. And I just, I just invite you um, that this, those words, they're not just some fictional story. Jesus is coming back again. And he will reign. And his, his kingdom will never end. And he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I was going to read two chapters more, but we just didn't have time. But he's coming in power. And so I just invite you this morning. Maybe your, your Christmas season's been crazy and... It's been so focused on, you know, the things that I've been focusing on, honestly. Gifts and Christmas stuff and all that kind of, which is, once again, that's not an evil thing. But maybe that's what your focus has been on this Christmas season. This is a time, this is a time for you just to think about the fact that Jesus is coming back. And your life today matters. And he is so gracious and merciful, but he is coming back. He is coming back. And I think we're going to be surprised at how, at how we, got so, we got so consumed with certain things in our life and then when Jesus comes back, we're going to realize, why was I so consumed with that or with that or with that? You fill in the blanks. But Jesus is so, I just think of Matthew 11 when he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. His invitation is always to come and come. It's always come. 
And I think as we respond to him, we say, come, Lord Jesus. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, come. And so this Christmas season, I'm hoping that when you get together with your gatherings and you're thinking about Christmas and you're, maybe someone says, hey, instead of Luke 2, we should read Matthew 24. You know, maybe your family would think you're crazy. That's okay. That's the reality that we're in, this, this idea of Jesus is coming. And, um, and we need to, and that's the thing is we can long and groan, but we can celebrate that too. Even as we come to, as we celebrate the rest of this, this morning, we celebrate his first, his first coming, but we can celebrate his second coming too. It isn't meant to be just like a depressing, like, oh, Jesus is coming back. It's like, no, Jesus is coming back. Like, that's like, that's meant to be a celebration. And so my, my prayer is that we groan and long for that, but that we celebrate and we're just excited. Jesus, come back. It's going to be amazing when you come back. It's, we're not going to, we, we don't, we can't even fathom how it's going to be like with Jesus as king over the nations. That'll be nice. He'll be the greatest politician this world's ever seen. It'll be amazing. And so I'm going to invite the worship team up to sing the last song. And as I do that, I just want to encourage us to have this dual. As we think of Christmas, we have this dual, this dual reflection, right? We reflect on and we celebrate the fact that Jesus has already come. That's amazing. We, we keep on doing that. But at the same time, we long for and wait and pray and celebrate the fact that Jesus is coming back again. Come, Lord Jesus, come. So we pray for us. Father in heaven, thank you so much that you are here. Thank you, Lord, uh, for the testimony of your saints in the past of how they prepared and waited and longed for you. And God, how we are invited to do the same. And so Lord, I pray for each of us here, God, I pray that you would put in us this deep longing for your return, for your second coming. Lord, that you give us a great joy in celebrating your first coming, but a great joy as we anticipate your second coming, God. Lord, help us to stand firm, to continue on, to press into you, Lord, to accept your invitation to come again and again. And so thank you, Lord. We say, come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen.